Hello, Warriors, and welcome back. Today, I want to really shed light on the enemy's tactics and talk to you about sorcerers among the saints. 2 Kings chapter 9, and um, before we get into chapter 9, I want to talk to you about someone that's pretty well known in the Bible. What Maybe you don't know her, but her name was Queen Jezebel. Now, Queen Jezebel was one of the most wicked women in the Bible. She was so wicked that she hated God and all of his people to a point that she was on a mission to destroy every prophet that she could. If you can remember, a very well-known historical occurrence was when Elijah encountered Jezebel. So Elijah was a prophet. And if you go at the beginning of uh, 1 Kings, you'll see that Elijah had a huge part in, um, in just carrying the presence of God and doing the work of the Lord. God chose to use him to really show God's power that he was the one true God. He was the one true king. And so Elijah sees this fire come down from heaven. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, but God entrusts him after God shows up and shows off and shows everyone who he is. Elijah sees the enemy slaughtered. I mean, he is on really cloud nine. All these people that had tried to kill the uh, word of the Lord, to kill the people of God. Elijah was now witnessing not on the power of God and just the salvation of the Lord over Israel and just showing them who God was. And so we see him here. And if it were me, I mean, I would totally be on cloud nine. Like, wow, how could you not, how could you doubt, right? You see heaven open up and fire come down from heaven and devour up a sacrifice and water. And I mean, it was just amazing just to even picture in your mind. And so we see Elijah here and Jezebel must have been a wicked woman. She must have been one of the most wicked women that we could ever encounter because a prophet going through that type of scenario, seeing the power of God in real life and being used by God. And literally after this occurrence, he gets word from Jezebel and she says, I'm putting a hit out for you. You will die. I will do everything in my power to kill you, Elijah. Jezebel threatens to take his life and in a mere matter of seconds, he gets afraid and runs away. She must have been wicked for a prophet of God to see the fire of God come down and for one person to threaten to kill him and him run in fear. But see, we probably all could relate to this. We've seen the power of God. We've seen God do miraculous things in our lives, but it is hard when after you come down from that spiritual high, pretty much, and we see the power of God, life gets in the way and we start to get our focus on things, especially when the, the enemy has a mission out to destroy and kill us and our family. So her husband Ahab was king, and in his time reigning over Israel, Jezebel called all the shots. Hence, many prophets of God died for no reason other than Jezebel and Ahab's pure disdain for God and their underlying thirst for power. Now, while we're talking today, I want you to remember, even though the person of Jezebel 
is dead and gone. The same spirit that was within her is alive and running rampant in our world. It is truly running through our schools and our churches and and our homes and it is out for vengeance trying to kill and destroy christian families to try to destroy the promise that is within you and the calling on your life so with that backstory of who jezebel was and the type of person she was and even the spirit of jezebel or you could even say spirit of antichrist this spiritual jezebel as you will is someone that is lustful who is idolatrous that is or someone who is of witchcraft jezebel was a witch when we look at the bible the bible even talks about witchcraft in a way that you wouldn't normally think now you might be saying lauren what does this have to do with christians like seriously i'm not practicing black magic at home i've not got a ouija board or whatever and you may even roll your eyes, but, but bear with me for a moment. Because if you look in scripture, the Bible clearly states that witchcraft can come in many forms. And, and not so much the obvious witchcraft and the obvious blatant black magic that we see nowadays. Or maybe you don't identify as a witch, but as a Christian, we teeter around things that are witchcraft. The Bible clearly states in 1 Samuel 15, 23, that for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness and arrogance is as idolatry. Now, let that sink in for a moment. We, we all know or m maybe have a basic understanding that, you know, from John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, right? He has this unconditional love that he gave his only son for us, but Whenever it comes to sin, whenever it comes to these things that would send us to hell, when you look at what God is talking about, it is not necessarily just the act that you are doing. It is what it's doing to your heart, the hardening of our hearts. You see, if we continually give in to any type of sin, it's going to harden our heart to a place where we are not willing to accept God or even want a communication or relationship with him because we have free will, right? It's in our hands. It has nothing to do with God making us do anything. It's in our hands. And so whenever it comes down to it, God sees your heart and he wants that, your heart. He doesn't want some foolish, fake religion that we have conjured up somehow because a lot of times we worship our buildings. We worship our religion and not truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth. But when I look at this scripture in 1 Samuel, it opens my eyes to the fact that we are practicing witchcraft possibly on a daily basis because of the way our heart looks to God. Rebellion is as witchcraft and arrogance and stubbornness is as idolatry. That's mind-blowing. That's really eye-opening to truly see that the way we treat other people, the way that we not only have faith, right, but with our works, because faith without works is dead. You can say all day long, I trust God, I believe in God, but where is your heart? And it makes sense. Because God isn't looking on your outward appearance. We might not dress in witches' clothes, but 
we call up our friends and gossip about other people. We may not look like a witch and be casting spells, but yet we hate someone so much we hope that they die or we hope something bad happens to them. I mean, let's be honest. The way that we go about things, the arrogance that we think that we are above the law, that we are above salvation, and it's other people that don't go to our church or it's other people that don't follow God. Listen, we're all in the same boat together. The only difference is that Christians, people that love God, not Christians that love themselves, but I'm saying true Christians, warriors for Christ, that's what Christian means, out here with trying to grab as many people as we can and save them from drowning. But it truly brings in to our, it truly brings to perspective how we're living our lives and how a lot of us, maybe in a season of your life, maybe it's in the past or maybe it's right now, you are living as a sorcerer among saints. You are truly dabbling in the arts of witchcraft because of your ego and pride. You're not willing to let those things go. You're not willing to let your rebellion and your arrogance go. And you are as Jezebel. We are as Jezebel when we truly, totally accept those things into our lives. And so... I want you to keep that in mind as we go into scripture because, see, just as the spirit of Jezebel is going around and trying to wreak havoc and trying to tempt us into these arrogant, rebellious ways, trying to tempt us not only with lustful ways, but in the lust of the flesh of our own selves and acting in a way that will put other people down and, and elevate us in some sense, we foolishly think so anyways, that God is going to deal with the Jezebel and the sorcerers that are among the saints. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1 through 13, and it says, The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take this flask of olive oil with you, and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him away from his companions, and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare to him, This is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run, and don't delay. So the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which one of us, asked Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebate, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. When Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, 
Is everything all right? Why did this maniac come to you? You know the man and the sorts of things he says, Jehu replied. That's not true, they said. Tell us. Jehu said, here is what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. We see that Elisha, who is the predecessor of Elijah, after Elijah was taken up into heaven, Elisha takes over and he is the main prophet um, that God is using in Israel. And so Elisha, as a good leader, delegates, right? He delegates to another prophet to run and anoint Jehu as king, but also to deliver a message from God. And so the prophet runs to Jehu, and I find it interesting. Jehu's hanging out. He's sitting at a table with all the other commanders or generals. They're, they're all sitting together. And, and the Bible doesn't clarify to say that any of these commanders had different, you know, different battle experience. It doesn't say that they were all um, unqualified and Jehu was. I believe that they were all possibly qualified for the job. They were all qualified. I mean, they're all fighting for Israel. They're all commanders hanging out at the table. But God had a plan and a mission, and he knew who he wanted to anoint to get the job done. And you may be listening to me today, and I want to remind you that God has not forgotten about you, warrior. That you have specific skills and anointing that he is going to use, but do not compare the battle that other people are facing or even the anointing they're carrying because you sat at the table with them, that you are a general of the faith with them, that that matters to God. You matter to God, but their mission is not your mission. Their mission of, of killing the enemy and dealing with the enemy and the house of the enemy on their side of the land is not necessarily what you may be asked to do, but God has a specific time and place for you to be raised up and used by him. Jehu was a commander among commanders, but there was something different about him. And God knew that he could use Jehu as, to help his mission and use him as an element of surprise. I don't know if you caught it, but when Jehu was spoken, when, when he was anointed to be king, the prophet not only gave him the word Elisha told him that you will be king, you're king of your, over Israel, but he then he gives him the word of the Lord. And I believe at that moment when Jehu received the battle plan, the mission from God, he guarded it with his life. I would be that person like the other commanders wonder, wanting to know, what God said, right? What did that maniac say? Because the guy's running in. I mean, he's probably out of breath trying to get a hold of him because it is time sensitive, right? And so they ask him, what did he say? Like, tell us. And Jehu exclaims, trying to brush it off. Like, I don't know if I should really tell anyone. So he's brushed, trying to brush it off, tell, trying to get them off his case. But he ends up telling them only a portion of the promise. He tells them that God has anointed him king, but the mission at hand, the time sensitive, the element of surprise, these things need to be guarded. 
And Jehu understand, understood the mission immediately because the word of God says he doesn't, even, he doesn't even share it with them. And as soon as he tells them the news that he's been anointed as king, he gets in his chariot and he asks God, God, if this is meant for me to be the king of Israel and to do this mission, don't let the word get to Jezreel that you've anointed me. Don't let anybody get to Jezreel, Jezreel before I deal with the enemy. And that's exactly what God did. God allowed Jehu. He got in his chariot, went straight for Jezebel. I want to tell you, there is a generation of Jehus rising up to deal with the Jezebel spirit that is going around and trying to wreak havoc in our lives. And I want to be a part of that generation. I don't know about you, but I want to be bold. I want to not be afraid to call things like I see them. We need to be people that stand for God and not a religious organization. We need to be people that stand up for the word of the Lord and not a denomination. Come on, somebody. We must be guarded and guard the word of God because people will take the promises on your life and twist them. Be cautious of who you tell things to. There have been times in my life I've told the wrong people what God's speaking to me. And not only did they take what I said, but they twisted it to make it into gossip and made it something it was not. I want to tell you, be confident in what God's told you. And it's okay to not tell everyone everything. The only person that knows my heart and what God's speaking to me is my husband. The other people in my life, even the people that I work with close in ministry, I guard what I'm going to say until God releases me to share it because it is for a time and a place. Be vigilant and wise with the word of God over your lives. So we look at 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 16 through 29, and Jehu on his way, I truly believe that in this mission, he, he saw, okay, I got to deal with the enemy. I got to deal with the sin and Ahab's house, and he's going to Jezreel, which, which is where Jezebel lives, and I truly believe he was going after the source because, see, even though her son and grandson held, they were the kings of Israel because Israel at this time was split into two parts. Even though Jehu Jehu knew the family was in control. He knew actually who the puppet master was. So he was going towards Jezebel and, and God, I mean, he just went for it. Sometimes we need to stop doubting God and questioning how things are going to happen and just hitch up your chariot and go after the enemy. There's nothing wrong with that. I can tell you one thing in whatever plan God has for you. Part of that plan is dealing with the devil in your home, dealing with the devil in your church, dealing with every single lie of the spirit of Jezebel is trying to wreak in your community. I can tell you one thing. You don't need the plan point A, point B to realize that the enemy needs to be taken care of. And if you will just hitch up your chariot, God will lead you to who you need to deal with. So Jehu is going towards Jezreel and he gets to Joram um, at Joram's home and Joram is Jezebel's son he is the king he was wounded in battle so he comes back to his castle and it's amazing how God lines up the pieces for Jehu to deal with who he needs to deal with immediately I think Jehu even partly was like I don't need a plan I'm just going to Jezreel and God will sort it out and that is exactly what God did he went towards 
Jezreel. And at that moment, he was riding through. And, and I encourage you to read this. Verse 16 through 29 gives us the full detailed. It gives us the full detailed in, encounter with these two men. But I want to give you just kind of a synopsis of what happened. So Jehu is riding and Joram comes out to meet him. And Ahaziah, which is the other king, was not supposed to be there. This is Joram's home, right? It was his home. It was where he lived. He was passing through or Jehu was going to him. The Bible doesn't clarify, but Ahaziah was there. What are the odds to deal with both the evil, wicked kings at the same time? That has to be God, right? That has to be God laying the pieces out. And so Joram and Ahaziah meet. They come to Jehu. And they ask him if he comes in peace. And Jehu simply tells them, how can we be in peace if your mother Jezebel and her wickedness is still going on in this, in this place, in, in Israel? And at that moment, after Jehu said that, Joram starts running uh, and Jehu deals and kill, uh, kills Joram and Ahaziah both at the same time. He deals with them and then he doesn't stop. See, Jehu knew he was on a mission and first he needed to deal with the enemy when God brought him to these things. Let me tell you something. When I was studying this scripture and God was revealing to me, because I, I love to study scripture, but more often than anything, I will not only get a message for other people if I'm going to preach, but God speaks to me about my life, about my issues. And as Christians, when we become understanding enough where we start realizing that we are the issue, a lot of healthy maturing happens. A lot of healthy growth happens when we stop blaming other people. You know what's easy? Finding things we don't like about other people. That is so easy. <laughs> It is super easy. I mean, we can probably do that all day long, right? But you know what's extremely hard? Realizing and becoming self-aware enough of your own issues that God wants to change in you and needs to change in you before you take the next step into ministry. That is what is hard. Jehu did not stop. He continued toward the real issue, the source of the problem, Jezebel. Today I ask you, are you prepared to be a Jehu? To be, to be a generation bold enough to say I'm not afraid to deal with the sin in my own life. I know that God will show me the, the wicked things in my own heart and, and the insecurities in my own mind and the things that are truly trying to take over my ministry and my home that I need to deal with first and foremost. And I know God will give us strength to do it, warriors. God wants to see you prevail. He has given us the victory, but we cannot be victorious if we are willing or if we are unwilling to deal with our own issues. But God's still calling us to not only deal with our issues, but to be bold enough to help others see clearer. Tune in next week 
for Sorcerers Among the Saints Part 2 when we'll continue to discuss what happens to Jezebel, how Jehu finishes the job and goes toward the mission that God has placed in his heart. Remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. I pray that this message has truly has truly touched your heart and spoken encouragement, correction, and love to you today. I pray all of you warriors have a fantastic week. Go in, in God's grace. Go in the anointing and the authority of heaven and go give the devil a black eye. God bless you all. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Warrior Within the Woman podcast. Love you, friends. Thank you for tuning in today to the Warrior Within the Woman podcast. If you'd like to dive deeper into the Word of God, you can access exclusive blog posts, devotionals, information on upcoming events, and so much more. Just visit our website at thewarriorwithinthewoman.com. That's thewarriorwithinthewoman.com.